from the epistle. We do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. May my words find their source in God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. It's good to be with you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Perry Siddons. Um, live in Saskatoon, and uh, it's good to be back with you this morning. Does Christianity really matter? That's the question at the fore in the letter to the Hebrews. The author, who is unknown, writes with the intention of encouraging his audience. They're Christians. They're weary, they're tired, and they're ready to give up. This is a message that they stay the path, firmly rooted in the truth. Moreover, this letter is written to Jewish people. They have become Christians. They were tempted. It's a bit of an understatement, actually. They were ready to give up. They were ready to say, let's, let's throw in the towel. Let's go back to the old covenant. Let's go back to the old way of life. Let's go back to what it means to be a Jewish person rather than this Christianity thing. Throughout the first few chapters of Hebrews, leading up to our passage in Hebrews 4 and into the latter half of the letter, the author vigorously defends his case that God has ceased to operate through the Old Covenant. What's the Old Covenant? It's, in the, it's the Old Testament. Everything we read about in the Old Testament. He has ceased to operate through that covenant. Why? Because he now works through the New Covenant, through Jesus Christ, who is divine who is superior in hierarchy to the angels and who is superior to Moses. Both the angels and Moses, they're the ones who are the mediators of the old covenant. And what he says now is Jesus is the inaugurator and the mediator of the new covenant. All the promises from the old covenant have been fulfilled in Jesus in the new covenant or they'll be fulfilled in the future. But all the promises from the old covenant have been realized in Jesus. So this is what the author's trying to get at. The old covenant moving back, it would be meaningless. It's all because it's obsolete, he's saying. The old covenant will not lead you to true life, he's saying, because it means nothing. Yes, things are hard right now, he says to this original audience. Things are hard. But look at the bigger picture. Remember this Jesus that you heard about. Remember that in the end, life under the old covenant, under the auspices of Jesus Christ, life, eternal life, will be the best decision. The author of Hebrews strives to confirm, without a doubt, the identity of Jesus as God's Son, who is fully God and fully man, and is our great high priest. This is where the lectionary drops us off this, this week in Hebrews 4. I just want to read uh, three verses from that passage just to refresh our minds, reading from the English Standard Version. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time. Of need. From this passage this morning, I want to make three points. The first being, we have a great high priest. 
Verse 14 says that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. The first question, pardon me, I have two questions from that, from that alone. First, why is Jesus considered a great high priest? And secondly, why does it matter that he's passed through the heavens? The author of Hebrews seems to think that's important. So why is it important for us? The first is easy to answer. He's a great high priest as opposed to the high priests under the old covenant. He, he, they're, uh, they're of lesser stature. He is greater than the high priests in the old covenant. Namely, and this is answering the second question, because he has passed through the heavens. To have passed through the heavens means Jesus has entered into the heavenly holy of holies, God's throne room. This is reflected, this is mirrored, shadowed in the temple of the Old Covenant. Remember that from the Old Testament. They would go in, they would go into the Holy of Holies, this limited space. This was a shadow of the heavenly Holy of Holies. And Jesus actually entered that Holy of Holies. This is why he is a great high priest. He has entered that. He has passed through the heavens. After making purification for our sins, the author writes in chapter 1, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We affirm this weekly in the creeds that Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. You know, I think sometimes you think, why does that even matter? Why did Jesus ascend? It was because he went to receive his throne, but also to open heaven wide for us. His perfect obedience, his perfect obedience resulted in his reward to sit at the right hand of God. He was perfectly obedient to what the Father had given him to do here on earth. And he received that, that throne, he received his reward, and he ascended into heaven. He is also our intercessor. He is the one praying for us, making, uh, um, uh, Praying to the Father for us. He's continuing the work he started here on earth. Remember in John 17, we call that the high priestly prayer because he's interceding to the Father. He didn't cease doing that work because we need that work. We need him to be interceding for us, to be our intercessor. To sit at the right hand of God, he literally passed from one dimension to the other. The earthly to the heavenly, to sit as our intercessor, which is his role as our high priest. To sit down at God's right hand means that this is his permanent place as king and priest. The priests of the old covenant had to enter the temple continually. They were never, they never were able to cease from their work. And what it means that Jesus sat down means that his work is completed. He never has to go in to the Holy of Holies to offer again. It's a once and for all sacrifice. No longer is it necessary for him to present a new sacrifice, to present himself because it was the perfect sacrifice. The deed has been done. Sins have been forgiven. Heaven has been opened wide for believers. We ought to then, the author implores, he says, hold fast to your confession. Because we have a great high priest, because he's interceding for us in heaven, he has passed through the heavens. Hold fast to what you believe. Hold fast to the gospel. Cling to it. The new covenant has been inaugurated through the incarnation of Christ, his death, resurrection, and ascension. This all means 
This is the forgiveness of sins that God planned from the very beginning. It is because Jesus is the real deal that we should cling to this truth the author is saying. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way that we ourselves are tempted. Jesus, the Son of God, he's not a lofty being up in heaven. He knows what it's like to be a human being, even in the 21st century, because he faced the same temptations and weaknesses that we face today. He understands the struggles we face because he traversed this planet. And while he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, he did not sin. And this is important for his work as high priest. Because if he sinned, we'd be screwed. His perfect obedience was essential for our salvation. For his perfect obedience was achieved our salvation. It says that he is able to sympathize, but he did not sin. That is so important because he was perfectly obedient to the Father. So I think N.T. Wright puts it well, saying, when he represents us before the Father, he isn't looking down on us from a great height. Jesus isn't standing up there and, and being patronizing uh, about those poor creatures, N.T. Wright says. He isn't patronizing those poor creatures down there who can't really do much for themselves. He can truly sympathize. He was there. He knows exactly what it's like. He isn't standing there and, well, what are they going to do next? Let me write that down. He sees us and he's interceding for us. So we are therefore, because of this, called to, with confidence to approach God's throne. This leads to my second point. We have a great confidence. Confidence here in the original Greek indicates a sort of freedom an openness in the political realm, in the public square to speak one's mind, to say anything, really. This translates quite nicely in the theological sense then, in a biblical sense. We have the freedom to approach God. Unlike the old covenant, there were barriers set around who could go before God and when. The high priests at this feast, at this feast, with this animal, for this reason. But like I said, Jesus opened heaven wide so that at any time, in any place we can enter, we can approach with confidence. Even the high priest couldn't enter with confidence because there was that fear. We see that throughout the Old Testament of some of the priests being blasted by being judged, condemned by God, if God so decided. And it wasn't arbitrary. It's because he demands fear and respect. He is a holy God. We do not have to quiver, though, in fear as we approach God's throne. Why? Because Christ has dealt with our sins and has opened wide heaven to us believers. As believers united to Christ, we too can access the heavenly places with freedom, unrestricted access. As St. Paul says in Ephesians, I think this is just the most wonderful mystery it, 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 I spend a lot of time thinking about this. What Paul says, we have been seated already, seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's saying that in the past tense. Already! But we're sitting here right now. But in a mysterious way, we've already taken our place in the heavens. And therefore, we have the liberty to approach God. 
The children of God have access to approach God with great confidence. For no one can level that, that, that legal charge against us in a spiritual sense. Against God's people. Since, as Paul writes in Romans 8, it is God who justifies. It is God who says, you are righteous in my eyes. Further, Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. We can be confident. Because as Hebrews 2.11 says, Jesus is not ashamed. This is truth. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Therefore, let us go confidently to the throne. Here leads to my third and final point. Which is, we have a great throne to approach. Why is it a great throne, as I've labeled it? It's a great throne because we are called to draw near to God with unrestricted access. The second reason is it's a great throne, pardon me, it's a great throne because it is a throne of grace, where mercy and grace are dispensed in our time of need, the author writes. It is not a throne of judgment for those who are the children of God. We will not face wrath nor condemnation from the one on this throne. It is a throne of love, mercy, and grace. Now, most importantly, what does it mean to draw near? We're called to come to this throne. How do we draw near to God's throne of grace when we can't even see it? It takes faith. Dear Lord, here I am is good enough. There's no building we need to be in where God will not hear us or a special prayer on a special day. <clears throat> Though here on a Sunday morning, I mean, we've, we've confessed our sins together. We've approached, I believe we, are, we have approached God. I keep pointing over there. I just think about that. This is, it's just an easy way to think about it. We're approaching God's throne, especially when we celebrate communion. That's such a powerful image of approaching God's throne to receive his grace. But it's not only here. This is, a, this is the special means that he's ordained, that he's appointed. But we don't have to. We can do it anywhere we are. We can do it in the shower. We can do it in the car. He's right there listening, waiting to dispense grace and mercy in our time of need. Which, if you really think about it, is every second of our existence. We always need his grace and mercy in order to stay the path of righteousness. To not give up. To remember this whole Christianity thing is worth continuing on. Because I believe what Jesus says. I believe what is true. And so in this time. Uh, it's becoming increasingly harder to be a Christian. And even the church is becoming even more divided over all sorts of political issues. May we approach God's throne for grace as we continue to, to traverse this life as exiles, in a way. That's biblical. Anyways, this is good news, God's throne of grace. We have unrestricted access through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a child of God, you will not be turned away. And let me say this. I'm saying this humorously. There's no proof of vaccine required. <laughs> will you draw near in your time of need? to receive grace and mercy, to continue on the right path. 
Let us pray. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Amen. <laughs>